Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. Hello, Blue Line, the podcast subscribers. Happy New Year and welcome to the first podcast of 2023. I'm Brittany Schroeder, editor of Blue Line magazine. In today's episode, I'm joined by Sarah Kennedy, president of the Ontario Special Constables Association, and we're going to talk about being a special constable in Ontario and what changes are coming in the new Community Safety and Policing Act. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Brittany. I really appreciate it. Of course. I'm really excited for our conversation. And jumping right in, can you give our listeners a quick background on who you are and your journey that you took to becoming the president of the OSCA. Sure. So I became a special constable back in 2009. Uh, it's always weird to hear that because it feels like yesterday, but I guess it was, it really was a hundred years ago now. <laughs> and um, so um, I became a special constable and <clears throat> to be honest, I was, I was pretty young and my intentions at first were to become a police officer and and I you know but I was young I was out of university and I thought um go get some life experience and we'll see how it goes and but then I realized that being a special constable was awesome and it is a uh it was a really legitimate way to engage in a public safety professional law enforcement role and we we were making a difference so I decided um that to to stick it out and I'm really glad that I have Back in, um, how, having said that, there were, there are, and there, and it's it's felt province wide. There are some, um, some, some issues and some concerns that we have as special constables. You know, with uniforms and tools and ability, uh, certain you know authorities and abilities, and it's uh, it makes the job uh, harder and um, at times really unsafe, and it impacts the way that we do our job and therefore putting the public at risk that we serve, you know, special constables, I'm sure you know, but for those who listening who don't know, special constables work, you know, we're everywhere, you know, we're keeping you safe when you're going home in public transit or going to work, picking up your kids, we are keeping you safe in community housing groups at the park, making sure your kid can walk through to get home safe. Universities, right, you know that you're, when you send your kid off to, to go to a higher education, they're, they're safe there. And then, you know, if you know we you know the police special constables they have a variety of roles as well you know keeping uh, they're taking care of people who come into contact with the criminal justice system and so well, there's a variety of roles right and so the but what i realized is that the issues are felt across the roles and across the province right so yeah. in 20 i think it was 2016 2017 i learned of this organization the osca and i reached out to the then president david moskowitz and i came aboard as treasurer and then i became after that was vice president and then in 2019 i became president um thank you uh i like to joke i did i took on this role three weeks after i delivered my second baby oh wow yeah so i am like i don't think i was in my right mind when i did that i must have still been in some weird like baby baby adrenaline <laughs> brain or something but I I haven't looked back I I'm I'm grateful for the role that I have and uh and I'm passionate about the work that we do so um it seemed like a good fit 
That's awesome. Um, now, having been with the special constables since 2009, and you've kind of, you've, like you said, you've brought yourself up and now you're part of the organization and you're seeing everything that's happening with special constables from all across Ontario. Can you tell us about how special constables were represented in the old Police Services Act? Because I know we also have the new Community Safety and Policing Act, and I think they're mentioned a lot more now. So do you want to tell us a little bit about where we've come from the old act to the new one? Yeah, the old act, uh, the Police Services Act uh, 1990 mentioned special constables. Like we were basically a one-liner in the act. We we're Special constables were defined as special constables. It was pretty, we, we didn't exist much, which kind of created um, a really ambiguous existence for us. Okay. Uh, a really directionless existence. And so, which is troubling for peace officers who have you know, like we're peace officers under the criminal code, right? With the yeah. the same authorities as a police officer to to carry out our duties, which sometimes means removing the rights and freedoms of citizens. So, uh, good. It's you know, but I think the fact that these last thirty years everything's gone smooth, you know, speaks to the professionalism of special constables. Right. It you know we've done a very good job these last thirty years, um, safeguarding our position and holding our positions with honor and doing a good job without mm -hmm. the legislative um, tools that we needed. So this, so and part of the OSCA's mandate, we, we really want to see the roles of special constables modernized, professionalized and standardized. And we are, we are thrilled that um, this CSPA does that. It does set out, you know, the community safety and policing act, We've got a whole bunch of sections, not just one line uh, dedicated just for special constables and who can employ special constables. There's hiring standards. There's going to be a code of conduct, which um, en enhances accountability, obviously, which is important, you know, given that, you know, as I stated already, we're peace officers. Um, there's going to be a tra a training regs. There's going to be um, uh, regulations that outline what we can do with what tools and with what authorities. And we like we've advocated for this we've advocated for years on this model this approach to standardizing regulating special constables um so now that it, the time has arrived now we're just concerned about the content right now speaking to some of those regulations that you'd like to to see get in place and like the content of what's in the the community safety and policing act um do you want to tell us about what you're really hoping for and also tacking on to that, like some of the challenges that special constables face regularly, because I feel like they might go hand in hand. Yeah, I think maybe it'll be helpful just to kind of talk about like what it is we're after. And then I can give you examples maybe on how it plays out, you Definitely. know, when our, when our boots are on the ground. Yeah. So we, what all of our, all of our requests of, of the Ministry of the Solicitor General for these regulations, they're all rooted in the same principles, which is enhanced accountability, enhanced public safety, enhanced officer safety, and it's um, we're seeking these changes now so that we can effectively do our jobs safely and deliver that public safety. Right, and so it's it's public safety, it's officer safety, it's accountability. That is the root of every single one of our positions. And so 
what we're what we're looking for is to have standard uniforms across Ontario. A, a uniform is is really is an important job, is, or it's an important piece rather to our jobs. Um, and you'll see there's a worldwide trend of law enforcement moving to a darker appearance in uniform. You know, there's been there's been studies done by the RCMP in conjunction with Carleton University, the forensic uh, forensic psychology department there where they found that um, a dark uniform colored shirt projected or was perceived by the public that that officer was more professional that officer was approachable trustworthy competent um and the same was said for an officer wearing a uniform pant stripe so so and while it seems kind of you know a little bit trivial to be talking about the color of our clothes um it's it's really not. Officer presence is the first piece on our use of force continuum, on our model that all peace officers um, are trained on and must comply with in Ontario and across Canada. And officer presence is the first one. I have worn in my career both a light blue shirt and then we transitioned to the dark blue shirt. And my experience was there was a significant change in the way that the public perceived us at the outset of every interaction. And that was really important. And we they never ever confused us for the, our local police service, even though we look identical to them, except that we're marked clearly across our bodies as special constables all over the place, front, back, shoulder flashes. Um, and then our, our pant stripe is royal blue. It's a royal blue color and the police locally wear red and uh, as a pant stripe. Visually, there's a distinction. Also, it doesn't say police, therefore I am, it's clear that I am not. Um, and, but what, so the interactions changed because people were more, um, they understood the relationship immediately, more immediately. So there was less negotiation of, of our authority, which is important because that means less conflict overall. And that's what we're after. We're not out. We don't want to go roadside and argue with everybody about what we, what we can and cannot do. What we want to do is our jobs. And um, we don't want to be nickel and diming to get cooperation. So the uniform is important. Um, you know, right ac across Ontario right now, there is no standard. And our concern with the regulations bringing it back is that they're currently being pretty prohibitive on what uh, a special constable uniform may be. They're okay. very focused on keeping it distinctive from the police uniform, but they haven't defined that. Right. We know that throughout Ontario, firefighters, paramedics, um, the animal welfare officers, what are they called, PAWS now? Um, uh, CBSA, corrections, bylaw, everybody, like, lots of them are wearing a dark blue uniform color. Mm -hmm. And it's, and everything is fine. <laughs> Nothing's wrong with that. No one's confused. So I think that um, the regs also do go on to uh, require that we are properly identified as special constable or constable special uh, on a 360 degree view. Fully support that. That's absolutely the right move. And with that visual distinction and the word special constable, special constable all over and with a royal blue pants stripe, that is very distinct. Mm -hmm. We live that experience presently and we're telling them, we're telling the these policymakers, this is what works. Please just do it. <laughs> this is what we're telling you. This is the experience we have. Right. And and again, it serves for officer safety because we don't have to argue in nickel and dime about what we can and cannot do. Right, right off the bat, we're we're mitigating and removing 
unnecessary conflict yeah. and it serves the public it the public has a right to know in a free and democratic society the authorities of officers as they're coming to be you know as i'm approaching someone they have a right to know what they what i can and cannot do in a uniform a proper um a proper and professional uniform conveys that message appropriately so the uniforms are a big one the other one is um equipment so currently special constables throughout ontario carry um uh, some version of pepper spray it can be a foam or a gel or the spray, usually an ass baton, as well as handcuffs if required. And these tools are standard. Um, like these are not, it's not new. It's not a surprise that we would carry these tools, although the um, pepper spray is a prohibited weapon. So we are authorized to carry that as well. The baton itself falls as an intermediate tool on the use of force continuum. Okay. So we're not authorized to carry lethal force, which is fine, such as firearms. The act prohibits us from carrying firearms. But what we are seeking is that some special constables in some roles be authorized to carry CEWs, okay. which are tasers, conducted mm -hmm. energy weapons. And at the discretion of the local police chief and police services board responsible for that group of special constables we we have thousands of of examples why you know and i'll give a few um in the community when special constables are working in transit for example uh going getting between properties across a community across a city it takes time, right? And we don't currently have the authorization under the Highway Traffic Act to use lights and sirens to get to those calls. So when an officer needs assistance, for example, they're waiting. They're waiting a long time for their backup or for the local police officer to, to come. Because by the time you play telephone tag and let the local service know, oh my gosh, officer needs assistance, 1078, then it's still 10, 10 minutes before somebody gets there. Yeah. And while the job we're doing is not policing, we're not taking the, we're, 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 we are public safety professionals, law enforcement professionals, but when we're staying in our lane as special constables, just doing the roles and functions that we're mandated to do, such as just patrolling a station, there was an officer patrolling a, a, a station um, underground and the platform is narrow and there was somebody skateboarding um, in and amongst the people kind of knocking into them, which again, narrow station. The last thing you want is to get knocked in front of the train. Dangerous, yeah. <laughs> right? So the officer says, get off your skateboard. Um, the person does get off their skateboard, but turns around and charges at the officer with the skateboard in his hand to try to wallop him across the head. So the officer engages with that person. The person can, obviously is resisting the arrest. Not only, you know, that's a given right. that, that struggle took uh, more than 10 minutes. And at one point that subject was trying to push the officer in front of an incoming train. Wow. So, and that's, that's just a Tuesday morning, you know, like Tuesday morning, no big deal, no big deal. You know, um, special constables are, that's the nature of human beings. That's the nature of law enforcement is that people are unpredictable. Situations are unpredictable and fluid. And the, the taser falls as an intermediate use of force tool on the use of force continuum, as well as these tools are so modernized now, they have accountability built right into it. You know, there's a time and geolocation stamp. As soon as that tool is, is taken out of its holster, it can be paired with um, a body camera so that when the tool is removed from its holster, a live feed goes into the, onto the boss's computer or something, but it's all recorded in the cloud. It's kept in the cloud. There's accountability built into the tool. As every single time that tool is um, deployed, 
there's a time and geolocation stamp. So if there's a discrepancy on how many times somebody um, was experienced a tase, like a taser deployment, um, th there can't be. There's a there's a digital record of it. If it was three times, we'll say three times or two times or one time. But most of the time, in fact, 80 to 90 percent of the time that a taser is simply demonstrated, and that means just drawn and shown to the suspect, they get 80 to 90 percent of the time compliance right away. Okay. So nobody is getting that's less injuries to officers, that's less injuries to the public. And that's ultimately what we're after here. Like I said at the outset, the 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 crux of every one of our positions is public safety, officer safety, and doing our job properly. Mm -hmm. And being able to better serve our, our public safety partners as well. Um so tasers are they are an appropriate tool. There's nothing specific about a taser that only a police officer can use, you know, especially with the standard training that's coming in. I mentioned earlier that there will be a regulation to standardize training. Mm -hmm. So the Ministry of the Soul Gen. Uh, will be um, responsible for deciding what special constables are trained on, how they're trained and by whom. Okay. And so the ministry will therefore be able to appropriately declare training for special constables who may be carrying CWs. Right. Um, and as far as accountability goes, we already carry an intermediate use of force tool. We already carry a prohibited weapon. Mm -hmm. They've embedded a code of conduct into the regulations and they've determined by not including us in the special the SIU that the current model of oversight is adequate um people are going to get people get more hurt from a baton deployment than they do a CW deployment um I've been tased um not because I was badly behaved but because I was um, in training when our local police service was rolling them out to every frontline officer we we do our use of force training with our local police and so they said, you, you know, it's very likely because we work in such close partnership that you may be um, exposed to a call where a taser is deployed. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, we need you to know how to conduct yourself. In the spirit of this, who wants to get tased? And all the hands shot up. And um, best day of training ever. And um, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, it hurts. It hurts. Mm -hmm. um, but Brittany, when you and I were first talking, I mentioned to you that I've given birth twice. And I can tell you for sure the taser is nothing. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I got up and I continue. It's, it's not like it doesn't hurt. It's meant to. It's meant to disable the body's ability to move so mm -hmm. that the officers can get control of that person without injury. And I wasn't injured. I, I got, the taser came off and I continued my use of force training after. The same cannot be said if you get, um, if, if, a, if a baton is deployed. That is a, it's a metal stick that is meant to break what it hits essentially um and the taser is more uh more effective anyways at de-escalation and that's ultimately the goal we would rather not have to use any tools at all and 80 to 90 percent of the time the taser is effective at de-escalation so that's that's that one the other big one we have is like I, i've already alluded to the issue of not being able to get to each other or to get to calls we need the ministry of transportation to adjust the highway traffic act to allow for exemptions the same exemption exemptions that police, paramedics, and fire have in, in under the Highway Traffic Act to be able to disobey posted speed signs, have lights and sirens, have red and blue lights, perhaps go through an intersection or a red light. Because while we are not performing policing functions, right, we're not responding to, um, you know, you know, gun calls or you know, we're not taking, you know, doing drug raids or you know, anything crazy like that. But we are 
sometimes responding to crimes in progress. Sometimes we're responding to medicals and we're always, we're almost always the first on scene, like special constables working in the community, transit housing universities, because we're embedded in those communities. Right. But it can still take us forever to get to a call because even if we know where we're going and it, you know, these, these, these properties can be pretty intricate. Um, the Toronto transit community is very intricate and complicated. And if you're trying, if you're on some concourse level in some obscure station, that's like kind of, you know, the underground that's between city blocks, like yep. trying to articulate to, to the police or paramedics where you are. Good Lord. And I mean, and that's not, that's to say the Toronto police fire and paramedics are, are very well trained. They know their communities well, but the TTC specials, the Toronto community housing specials, university special constables, we're the experts on those properties. We know where to go. And I think that when somebody is fighting for their life, if they're having a medical event, they don't care who gets to them first, but somebody yeah. get here. First, right. And so um, for the sake of that and for the sake of being able to back each other up, we really need to be able to have the use of lights and sirens. Um, as I mentioned, the code of conduct is embedded right in the regs. Right. So if anybody's having like hilarious imaginings of special constables, some, for some reason, trying to use lights and sirens to go get a coffee or end their shift or anything, that's, that's, that's kind of, um, that's a, that's a, that's a position that's pretty defeatable, I would say, especially because there's like, you know, 30 years of special constables doing it right. Yeah. Um, leading up to these regulations. And as in terms of liability, I would argue that, especially because I mentioned the ministry is controlled, is controlling training now. Right. So that's, that's, we're going to be properly and appropriately trained by the right people on the right content. And I would argue that not allowing for us to be able to do this is a greater liability than giving it to us because it's just a matter of time before um, something really serious happens. And, you know, every, every time I'm on a shift and my I hear an officer calling for backup on the radio, am I really expected to sit at a red light when I know that my colleague is fighting for their life? Right. Like that's wild. Or if I hear, oh, we have somebody on camera doing CPR, a suspected drug overdose, doesn't look like there's Narcan on scene. Do you want me to sit at that red light? Really? I, I'm three blocks away. And that yeah. person is moments from dying. You, you really want me? Who does that serve? Nobody. Yeah. So, um, and how this ties into the CSPA regulations is there is a regulation governing vehicles that is prohibiting a special constable vehicle from being equipped with red and blue lights and sirens. And that firstly seems a little bit out of the blue because it's kind of the Ministry of Transportation's job to manage that, but also, you know, don't prohibit it. We're actively trying to advocate for it. Don't say anything or just say, you know, <laughs> if the Ministry of Transportation says it's okay, then we're cool with it too. Something to that effect. But again, and as I've, as I've sort of demonstrated with these, some of these examples is officer safety, public mm -hmm. safety, you know, um, enhanced community safety and that of our of our public safety colleagues and then this is this is a chance this is this is 30 years in the making you know these changes that we're asking for they're necessary to help us effectively do our job and they're not big asks they yeah. seem perhaps conceptually getting your mind wrapped around it sometimes can be but if you actually you know, really think boots on the ground, officer going to a call, a disturbance call or a trespass property act call, you know, is it reasonable or to think that somebody could become very uh, violent towards that officer? Of course. Yeah. 
Of course. Is it reasonable to think that we're going to be the first on scene for a lot of calls for service in our properties? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Is it reasonable to think that a court special constable, somebody who's in charge of um, cell blocks or whatever, are going to be dealing with violent, violent folks who maybe don't want to come out of their cells? Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to physically remove them because the nearest police officer who may have a taser is across the building mm -hmm. or not present at all. Or the other alternative, now some, some police services have policies that if a, a, a suspect doesn't want to come out of their cell, they they bring in the TAC team. Oh. Yeah. But a special constable with the taser could just get them out, you know, um, and carry on with the day without having to, to go hands-on, right? And that's ultimately the goal. We don't want to be going hands-on with people. We got into this line of work to help people. And if we can, if we can avoid you know, we are always trying to avoid conflict and having to use force of any kind. And the the, the CEW, the taser is in a very effective tool mm -hmm. at that. So this is an opportunity for the government to, while they're, they're creating these policies from scratch, this is an opportunity to get it right and get it right the first time before something, before the worst happens. Of course. And while they're making this Community Safety and Policing Act, I know that there's something that um, people can do if they want to support and help especially possible. So do you want to quickly tell me about that? Appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. Um, so the ministry has posted these regulations for public consultation feedback on the Ontario reg registry until February the 4th. At that time, the consultation period will close and they will take the feedback for consideration. So we've got until February 4th. Anyone can comment. They, but we are asking people to head over to a website called supportontariospecials.ca. That's plural, supportontariospecials.ca. And there's a petition there. You just add your name to the petition. And at which point you'll receive a document um, that if you wanted to take, if you wanted to do one more thing. So signing the document takes, um, or signing the petition rather takes maybe uh, 30 seconds. Less than and that. Then, I did it yesterday. It's like less than 20 seconds. Thank you. And then after that, uh, you may have received a document. If you haven't yet, you will about um, we if you have two more minutes, you can send the feedback to the ministry. We, we've provided a document with a link and then our suggested feedback. You can simply copy and paste. So we're saving you the time and um, we and that that is a way. And then share with everybody, you know, every police officer, every special constable, everybody who knows and likes you as a special constable. <laughs> Please support your special constables. It's we're not asking for um we're not asking to be more armed. We're asking to be appropriately equipped. These tools are safer and result in less injuries. We're asking to be able to just get to our calls safely, back each other up, deliver, you know, like public safety effectively. We're asking to be uniformed in a way that is professional and understandable. Um and again, these all serve officer safety and public safety. So that's awesome. And is there anything else that you want to quickly share that we didn't already touch on? I don't, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> other than uh, maybe I'll just say, uh, maybe I'll just say, so my, my goal as president of the OSCA is to advocate for these changes now <laughs> while it's, while we, while these policies and regulations are still being formed. I'm advocating for these changes to get it done right the first time before one of us is badly injured or worse happens. Mm -hmm. And it's inevitable if it 
it's inevitable. And so do it now before the inevitable. Yeah, I I completely agree. And that's a perfect way, I think, to to wrap this up. Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on today's episode and for sharing not only with me, but with our listeners, what it's like for special constables right now and how maybe it'll be able to change in the future and how people can support you guys as well. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, discuss these issues. And thank you for having me. Of course. For everyone who tuned in, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. You can check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also stay up to date on all of your Canadian policing news at blueline.ca. Until next time, stay safe and be well. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. 